You are listening to Network 5 Emergency Medicine Journal Club. My name's Amanda. I'm one of the emergency advanced trainees at Westmead. I'm also one of the toxicology registrars, which is you know quite convenient considering that this topic for the month that we've got today is toxicology. We have one of our favorite toxicologists on board with us today to provide a little bit of insight into these papers that we're presenting. We've got Associate Professor Naren Gunja, who's our head of department here at Westmead. My name is Mariz, I'm one of the other toxicology registrars and I'm glad to be back. I'm Kit, formerly a toxicology <laughs> registrar but not currently and back again for my corner today. My name's Pramod, one of the ED consultants, happy to be back on the podcast, also formerly a toxicology registrar, currently a toxicology fellow, so the journey continues. Thanks for having me on the show. Yes, I think it sounds like if you were a tox reg at any point in time in your life, you will become a podcaster. We also have Dr. Tim Salvaraj, who'll be joining us a little bit later for a presentation of one of our papers. Obviously, my name's Amanda. I'll be hosting today. So I guess we'll get straight into it. The first paper will be presented by Pramod, who, as he mentioned, is one of the toxicology fellows here at Westmead. He's presenting a paper today that's titled Rare and Very Rare Adverse Effects of Clozapine, which was an article published in the Dove Press Journal, Neuropsychiatric Disease and Treatment by Pastefazio and Al in August of 2015. Do you want to take it away, Pramod? Clozapine has always been one of the prototypical second-generation antipsychotic drugs and was actually invented, even though we still use it so commonly, it's a very, very old drug, invented in 1958 and then went into development in 1961 and introduced into clinical practice first in Europe and then in America in the 1970s. And it was viewed at the time and probably still remains one of the key treatment advances in the treatment of and management of acute psychotic illness, particularly schizophrenia, since the first discovery of original antipsychotic drugs. So the first antipsychotic drugs were really chlorpromazine and haloperidol in the 1950s and 1960s. The initial adverse drug reactions that began to occur, namely classically agranulocytosis, started to happen in the mid-70s. And since then, clozapine has seen a consistent rise in use, particularly in the context of treatment-resistant schizophrenia, which has lent it towards already a very high-risk population group. And longitudinal evaluation of office therapeutic effects has demonstrated some very interesting adverse effects of the drug. In addition to this, I think, particularly for those in the room, you know, we work in a population or amongst a population where clozapine use is itinerant, particularly with Cumberland Hospital, one of the larger inpatient mental health units being so close to Westmead Emergency. We see a large population group that suffer from therapeutic misadventures, accidental overdoses, or deliberate self-poisonings with clozapine. And I think one of the first lessons you learn as a toxicology registrar is that clozapine has a slightly different overdose profile. So hopefully we can touch a little bit on that. But talking specifically about the paper, and I think there were a few things that I wanted to highlight with this paper. Essentially, this paper uses the methods of article and case report review covering multiple scientific databases, including Medline, SINAL, Embase, PsycInfo, AgeLine, and Cochrane, database of systematic reviews and abstracts in order to gather a case series rather, which go into descriptions of rare and 
very rare adverse effects of clozapine. Most importantly, these rare and very rare adverse effects were documented at any doses. And so characterize some of the more idiosyncratic responses to treatment medications that these patients can suffer from. I think importantly, and probably one of the strengths of the paper is that it summarizes a lot of this data and then postulates on potential mechanisms of some of these rare and very rare adverse effects, but then also seeks to classify them by systems and outlines in some scenarios suggested management for some of these rare and very rare complications. I think one of the foundational statements of the paper is probably outlined in table one, where the adverse reactions are divided by frequency in regards to patients and treatments, with very common adverse reactions being described as those that occur in a proportion of greater than one in 10 people, common being any number between one in 10 to one in 100, uncommon being between one in 100 to one in 1,000, rare being one in 1,000 to one in 10,000, and very rare being under one in 10,000. And then obviously there's a subset of those adverse reactions that are unknown because they cannot be estimated from the available data. I think that provides a useful schema, particularly for clinicians, in order to get a better idea of how likely it is that the patient that you're reviewing at that particular time who takes clozapine may or may not be suffering from one of these adverse events that are rare or very rare in character. In addition to this, the paper does go into some brief description around the pharmacokinetics, and maybe we can touch on that in our discussion segment when we go through the pharmacology of clozapine and how some of the overdose profiles are slightly different to other antipsychotic medications. Diving into the actual nitty-gritty of some of the things that are discussed in the paper, I think some real points of interest when it comes to an analysis of the case reports are primarily related to gastrointestinal adverse effects that are described in the context of clozapine use. And reading through the outlined mechanisms, I find that there's still a lot of vagueness in some of the description that probably relates to the fact that it's very challenging to sometimes fully understand the pharmacokinetic profile of some of these older agents, particularly when they're so so widespread across their receptor agonism and antagonism makes it very difficult to fully appreciate how their different receptor functions can cross-react. But I think there were some cases here that were very interesting, particularly high rates of gastrointestinal adverse outcomes and significant rates of esophageal reflux. A few case reports of Oglife syndrome, which is very, very bizarre syndrome that I've never really read since medical school, but it's interesting to see that its incidence is you know, higher than what would be expected in the background population amongst those patients who take clozapine. Another sort of aspect was the urogenital adverse effects, but probably less so for an acute physician such as myself practicing in the emergency department. I think the other two areas of interest goes into are related to the dermatological adverse effects, primarily minor skin reactions that can sometimes occur with patients with clozapine use. And I think it just adds to my already confusing differential diagnosis for undifferentiated rash, especially in those patients with clozapine who are already challenging enough to evaluate clinically. And then I think it brings us to the scariest sort of outline is the pulmonary adverse effects. And in the literature, there's good evidence now um, published sort of in the early to late 2000s and sort of 2015-ish to sort of 2017-ish that patients who take regular clozapine are at higher risk of developing via adverse event, events and severe adverse outcomes from pneumonias. It's then, I guess, an extension of that clinical concern when it comes to thromboembolism and thromboembolic disease. And I think, again, this outlines one of the areas of the paper where the authors have really tried to figure out why there might be some biological connection here. It doesn't appear to be anything that you can lean on, particularly to say that, you know, clozapine antagonizes this receptor and therefore that will increase your circulation thromboembolic profile. But some of the numbers here that were quoted were, you know, quite startling with the risk of developing pulmonary embolus, although a rare event is 28 times higher in clozapine treated patients compared to the general population. That to me is a bit concerning given that I already find pulmonary embolus of 
very nebulous thing to evaluate in the ED. And so I think being able to at least identify that these populations are at higher risk of adverse events from certain disease subtypes assists the clinician in trying to understand what your pretest probability is. And I think that brings it back to trying to evaluate patients who present to emergency departments with vague, non-specific, and undifferentiated symptoms. I think we find ourselves asking complicated clinical questions at the bedside. And I think what this paper does is that it assists us in identifying that, yes, these patients are high risk. And so the pretest probability of a patient on clozapine for having a particular disease process is higher than what I would estimate the background population to be. And I think at least for me personally, in my clinical practice, this paper brought to my attention that those patients taking clozapine are fall into a subset of patients that could be described as high risk, so to speak. In a paper like this, though, it is very important to identify some of the weaknesses of the paper. And I think the weaknesses of this paper speak to a certain subset of toxicology literature at large. I think when you're talking about clinical toxicology and clinical pharmacology in, in practice with patients that are, you know, so comorbid and often non-compliant with follow-up, et cetera, the body of literature that surrounds these patients can be very poor. And I think case series and case reports populate the toxicology research diaspora so significantly because of this. However, I think people sometimes get discouraged from the publication of case reports because of the fact that it's often quoted as being such a poor body of literature. But, and Naren, I'd be interested in your points here as well, but so much of clinical toxicology, particularly with the rarer and more wonderful drug reactions and overdoses, so much of how we manage these clinical cases is derived from case reports that have been published, you know, and at least provides us with some sense of direction. I know I had a very recent similar experience working for New South Wales Poisons where I was randomly contacted about a selenium toxicity and found myself desperately Googling for case reports to try and figure out exactly what I should and shouldn't be doing for the management of this patient. And I think when you're dealing with rare and very rare adverse outcomes, case reports can sometimes be foundational for guiding your clinical practice. One of the other weaknesses of the paper is the real lack of pharmacological or toxicokinetic associations. So these are very much associations that have been identified by the authors through a series of reviews of previous published cases. And so the lack of a biological mechanism is a real weakness. However, that's not really the role of the paper, I would imagine. And so it's hard to really say whether I would call that a true weakness, but it is certainly something that needs to be kept in mind is that there is still an element of uncertainty as to how these associations have been derived. Overall, I found the paper very helpful and informative and has a role in my clinical practice. And I think opened my eyes to the bizarre drug that is clozapine. Thank you so much, Prama. That was amazing. Can you sort of break down the basic pharmacology of clozapine and explain a little bit more about why clozapine overdoses might be different to an overdose of a different antipsychotic? Yeah, thanks, Pramod. It's important to know that what this paper talks about are the rare side effects of clozapine, and there are common side effects that would be useful to know about as well for the emergency clinician, particularly in Western Sydney and other parts of Australia where you've got a complex psychiatric patient who is on this medication presenting frequently. So clozapine is something you will come across in your practice. Clozapine is an unusual drug. It's not like other antipsychotics, as Pramod, you've mentioned, and, and as for your question, Amanda, what is special about this? It is an antipsychotic. Like all antipsychotics, it is blocking the dopamine receptor, but it has a whole bunch of other receptor effects, and there's a few things about it that make it different to other antipsychotics. It does fall into that category of an atypical antipsychotic in that 
like a lanzapine, which came after clozapine, it has less of that extrapyramidal and anti-muscarinic and also the hypotensive effects that the antipsychotics have. So it has less of that. So that's why it's considered an atypical antipsychotic. But also it's different to other atypical antipsychotics in certain ways. It has a very strict prescribing and dosing regimen. You have to be a registered clozapine prescriber to prescribe clozapine. So for example, an average doctor is not allowed to prescribe clozapine. You must be a, a registered prescriber on the clozapine registry. And that is generally a select group of psychiatry doctors that can do that. And it's got a, a ramping regimen over about two weeks where you have to slowly increment doses and monitor for certain parameters to titrate this drug up. And this all came about because when clozapine initially came out, there, I'm thinking 1970s now, so don't quote me, but around that time, there were significant side effects commonly encountered to do with agranulocytosis and patients dying from sepsis. Even though clozapine was this wonder drug that seemed to control psychotic patients like no other drug before it it had these significant side effects that people were becoming aware of. So it rapidly came into control where you had to be a registered prescriber, you had to have a certain regime, and you needed to have certain kind of monitoring with blood tests, ECGs and the like because of this side effect profile, um, particularly to do with sepsis. So when you look at some of the things it can do in just normal dosing, it makes it a very special drug compared to other antipsychotics. And some of the common things that people can get from clozapine, I know it's not all entirely described in this paper because this paper is talking more about some of the rarer side effects, but some of them are mentioned in here and particularly to do with autonomic side effects. Clozapine fever, which is a febrile potentially immune reaction that happens in the first few weeks of commencing clozapine or changing a dose. And it also has these uncommon cardiac side effects, which is what we often see when patients come into the ED, like myocarditis, cardiomyopathy, pericarditis. It also has been associated with sudden death, and it may have something to do with PEs. That's a very interesting fact that they think that it has a significantly increased risk. But one thing that we should keep in mind with this paper is there's causation and then there's association. So some of this could be due to clozapine treatment, but it also could be that there's something else underlying in a patient who is on clozapine, perhaps due to their other medications, some other comorbidities, or their lifestyle factors that makes them prone to some of these diseases, including PE that may not be directly from clozapine. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. Naren, you mentioned that obviously with clozapine, it's a very slow up titration or introduction of the drug into the patient sort of management regime. And quite often it is sort of, you know, second or third line for the management of treatment resistant schizophrenia. So these patients have already gone through a number of different treatment protocols and haven't been successful with them. Do you find in your experience that there's a certain time frame, you know, from the commencement of clozapine that we notice that these side effects develop? Is it dose related? Is it time related? Is there anything that you've sort of noticed, I guess, in your experience? 
with all of these idiosyncratic reactions to antipsychotic medications, be they neuroleptic malignant syndrome or adverse drug reactions, the incidence tends to be greater, and correct me if I'm wrong, Loren, around dose commencement, dose changes, commencement of co-committant dopamine antagonistic medications. However, I've seen a range of idiosyncratic reactions to clozapine occur with varying degrees of distance from the commencement of the dose. However, there does appear to be some relationship to maybe an acute intercurrent illness or some other physiological stressor that tends to precipitate one type of reaction over another. However, um, I think the greatest incidence would be around those three. And then, you know, but it's still a consideration in all patients who take clozapine, particularly for some of these rarer and, and more bizarre adverse outcomes, particularly the ones that focus around GI motility and pulmonary embolism, which is why I highlighted both of them in the view of the paper. You're right about that sort of early commencement and dose changes. When you start someone on clozapine, that first few months is crucial for monitoring. Who's monitoring? It's usually the psychiatrist who's commencing them, and that's what their training and registration requires them to do, particularly to do with blood pressure, ECGs and echoes, ponin. They also do CRPs, full blood counts, and, and other tests looking for things like agranulocytosis, evidence of cardiac effects like myocarditis. The other thing we see is when a patient on clozapine who might have been on it for quite some time develops an intercurrent illness. And when I talk about that is things like pneumonia, things like viral infections, things where it might kind of affect their uh, fluid intake, whether they remember to take their medications regularly and those kind of effects where it interferes with their regular schedule. So that's the kind of scenarios where we see patients coming in with you know, abnormal ECGs or abnormal troponin levels, patients with palpitations or chest pain. That's the kind of scenario where we're seeing patients with clozapine issues. There are other kinds of scenarios where it's not a, an adverse effect scenario where you've got potentially an overdose of clozapine as well. If someone came in with a clozapine overdose, is there a particular a clinical picture that you would expect from that? Or is it, again, very nonspecific, like these side effects of instilling management with clozapine? The main thing for the assessing clinician in emergency to do is to check for and rule out sepsis. That's an important thing that is a, a common mimic and also a differential for clozapine toxicity. And there's a you know the range of tests that they would need to do to rule out sepsis, plus also to look for you know, abnormalities in their ECG. If there's a need for an echo, perhaps that might also be needed. In general, a clozapine level doesn't usually have a major impact upon that acute presentation, although we might use it for checking compliance with their dosing, or perhaps we might use it to compare with previous clozapine levels to see what's going on there. That's really the main thing is cardiac investigation and ruling out sepsis is the, the two key parts of investigating someone who comes in on clozapine with either fever or cardiac symptoms. So recently we've had a couple of consults. For example, I just got a call from a geriatrician who's been trying to introduce clozapine into one of his patients and they had been monitoring the CK and had noticed a rise in the creatinine kinase and had sort of linked that back to possibly being related to the clozapine introduction. And our recommendation from the tox side of things was just to stop the clozapine treat, you know, with IV fluids for the CK rise. But then the advice was to not restart clozapine. So again, coming back to the fact that these patients are often treatment resistant and clozapine is, you know, second, third, fourth line drug that's been trialed for the management of their schizophrenia, for example. 
Are there any instances in which, from a toxicological sort of perspective, that you would be more comfortable restarting clozapine? Because often I found that the advice we provide is just to stop, find an alternative and try to avoid clozapine in the future. Yeah, ultimately, it's a risk-benefit argument for whether this person, how much do they need the clozapine? Are there alternatives? In some cases, there are, and others that have tried everything else, and this is really something that works for them, and you don't want to switch from it. So there is a process for re-challenging with clozapine in those kind of scenarios where you really don't want to switch to something else. From our perspective, I don't know about this particular consult, but CK on its own is probably not a reason to stop clozapine. It's more when it starts affecting cardiac investigations with, you know, major ECG or troponin changes. And, you know, you're really worried about myocarditis. That's really when from a cardiotoxic perspective that you perhaps might want to switch to another agent. We occasionally get patients that come in with an acute overdose, as we've mentioned, of clozapine. My understanding is that it's normally kind of supportive care that we give these people and they're prone to kind of hypotension, a bit of anticholinergic kind of stuff. Is there much else that we should be looking out for? I know that you said that levels weren't really of much benefit. Is there a process of eliminating clozapine? Do we look at levels for elimination? Is there any method of enhanced elimination or antidote that we can consider or is that not something that's evident? As with most of the antipsychotic drugs, reasonably managed with just supportive care. There are some interesting things. Incidences of seizures tend to be higher with clozapine than with other atypical antipsychotic. Postulated again due to its D4 antagonism in the mesolimbic circuit. But I mean, I don't know how they've managed to pin it on that particular receptor, but that's the idea. And then the effects of clozapine on gastric motility, which is outlined reasonably well in the paper, which is due to a combination of its direct actions on gastric motility as well as its anticholinergic effects can lead to pooling of saliva and cause a hypersalivation, which is not in keeping with someone with a classical anticholinergic syndrome. And so that can sometimes be a pointer to the nature of the diagnosis. However, most patients who have overdosed on clozapine, it's pretty obvious that they're on clozapine because there'd be some medical documentation due to the sort of rigorous follow-up that's required for these kinds of patients. But, you know, in the occasional instance where you get recreational abuse, or if the clinical question is, has this patient accidentally taken a therapeutic misadventure or something, which funnily enough for a drug like clozapine happens more often than you'd think sometimes these clinical signs can help point you in the right direction as to which agent is causing the sedation and make a call from that point of view the incidence of seizures clinically i haven't seen that come to bear but i have read quite a few case reports of seizures in the context of acute clozapine deliberate self-poisoning and so that might be worthwhile keeping an eye out for and it's certainly not something you classically see in other antipsychotic agents at least not that commonly Am I right in thinking that you'd be more concerned about potential toxicity in someone that's clozapine naive? I think that's true for most antipsychotics. If you're naive to that particular antipsychotic, that would be more concerning. I don't necessarily know if someone will spontaneously manifest adverse drug reactions from a single dose if they were naive before. <laughs> I don't think that's the case because from what I can understand and reading the literature, a lot of these more bizarro reactions tend to be from some sort of pro-inflammatory sort of characteristic that clozapine has. And you would have to think that in order to suffer consequences of a pro-inflammatory mediated process, it needs to be something that occurs over a long chronological period. And so 
Hence why these patients who take it for a long period of time end up manifesting these weird reactions. That's at least me extrapolating from my understanding on first principles. So I'm not sure how true that is, but I don't think someone's randomly going to spontaneously have a PE if they overdosed on clozapine. I don't think that's necessarily how it works. But certainly the sedation and the other effects might be more profound if someone's naive to the drug. I think that's not an unreasonable assumption. And the other time we see this, particularly on the ward, is if someone who is normally on clozapine and hasn't been taking it for a while, and then they're suddenly restarted on their full normal dose, their peak dose on the ward, say. So that someone's noticed that, oh, we've missed out this clozapine, let's start them back on their last dose, which is their full dose, instead of now retitrating them up again. They're the kind of scenarios where we see trouble because if you haven't been taking it for two or three weeks, you need to start again, that whole titration regime. And if they would go back on their full dose, they could get drowsy or have side effects at that point. But yeah, I'm not aware of things like PE from a single dose, that would be unlikely. What about the seizure risk, Naran? Have you seen that play out clinically? I haven't actually personally seen no, too much of it. We, we have seen, I think, one or two seizures with clozapine, but it's not been as that common. Very few actually have had seizures in all the clozapine cases that have come into our unit. The other thing clozapine is not that much associated with is QT prolongation. Like olanzapine, neither of those two drugs have significant QT prolongation in all the cases. I suppose um, we'd be less worried about that in the context of the tachycardia that you get as well, uh, yeah. at least the torsodogenicity of that. Is there a reason that we should suspect clozapine toxicity in anyone who presents with a possible side effect or poisoning of uh, clozapine just because they're on it and they presented with something like a seizure or drowsiness or some sort of other neurological symptom as an isolated symptom or is it something that we should consider as less likely in the absence of like a whole uh, syndrome or toxidrome of clozapine? If anyone is on psychotropic medication and has altered level of consciousness or neurological presentation, you always have to consider those psychotropic agents as a potential cause. But sometimes the history is not available at the point and you just have to wait till they wake up or get further sort of collateral history of missing tablets or, you know, sky high levels or something like that. But clozapine's a tricky one because the levels don't always correlate with dose ingested and what's going on at any particular time. So, you know, it's always good to keep it in the back of your mind as a potential cause of whatever's going on in a patient that's on it. If someone's on like a secondary antipsychotic, do you think that more of a risk of them having um, these sorts Hopefully of symptoms? Hopefully not. would not be that common that we see patients on clozapine and another antipsychotic. Mm-hmm. But if that were to be the case, then yes, there's always a risk of, you know, complicating problems or a summative effects of multiple antipsychotic agents. Thank you so much to both of you. Thanks, Pramod, for presenting that paper. I think we had a pretty good discussion out of it. I've definitely learned something, I guess, in my approach to a patient who's on clozapine, who's taken an overdose. Are there any take-home points specifically that you want to give to our audience before we wrap this up? A lot of what the role that this paper serves is really just trying to outline to you that, as the reader, that you really just don't know anything about clozapine. <laughs> it goes into some weird reactions and bizarre things. And I think the take-home point rather than uh, destabilizing your self-confidence should probably <laughs> be more to do with the fact that asking the clinical question about whether this particular patient's presentation could be somehow related to their clozapine use um, might be a worthwhile question asking. Estimation of pretest probability can sometimes be really challenging. So 
I think that is another thing to just confuse you even more in the ED when you've got someone on clozapine with shortness of breath and palpitations. Is it myocarditis? Is it pulmonary embolism? And I think these patients probably warrant slightly more definitive and objective investigations than we are sometimes inclined to do for our general population. And so I think that's another worthwhile point remembering. And thirdly, just trying to, again, just draw your attention to the fact that the importance of publishing case reports, and particularly in certain fields of medicine that deal with either extremes of disease processes or disease outcomes that are really rare and bizarre and are unable to be studied in a randomized controlled trial fashion. Cumulatively, these trials serve an important role in sort of managing patients. And so there is, I'm advocating for the case report, I guess, in this particular paper or via this particular paper as a legitimate form of medical literature from which good patient outcomes can be sought. So that brings us to the end of our first segment. Thank you everyone for tuning in. As always, we would love to hear your thoughts and feedback. You can email us at westmeadedjournalclub at gmail.com. Everyone stay safe and we will be back in your ears soon. Now we're giving it a try I like the way you describe it to